financial decisions, you face them at every turn. Do you ever feel lost? Do you ever feel like you might be missing something or making a mistake? Join Step Right with Lynn, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner at Step Right Capital Planning. Welcome to Step Right with Lynn. Today we're in the city of Guelph and we'll be chatting with Jim Estelle. Jim made the news when he determined that 50 Syrian refugee families should locate in Guelph and he agreed to fund and quarterback the effort. We're going to learn from Jim just where that project is today. Jim is currently the CEO of Danby Appliances. In 1979, he started a computer distribution company called EMJ from the trunk of his car. He and his team built that company to $350 million in sales, and he sold EMJ to Cynix in September 2004. He became CEO of that company and grew sales from $800 million to $2 billion in five years. Jim served on the board of Research in Motion for 13 years. He's written two management books, Time Leadership and Zero to Two Billion. Welcome to the show today, Jim. Thank you, and thanks for having me. It's wonderful. So that's a long list of impressive accomplishments, Jim. I'd be missing an opportunity if I didn't ask you at least one question about time management. How'd you do it? (laughs) Well, I'm not naturally an organized person. So what I do to move forward is I always study. So I studied time management, and from that I became essentially a time management guru. But it's not my ideas. I largely regurgitate other people's ideas and modify them and make them mine. So if you want one tip, one tip I use is do the worst thing first thing. So I always have my list of things to do, and some of them just sit there, and I don't kind of get to them. But by saying I'm going to spend 15 minutes on my worst thing, and I do worst thing twice a day, so I do it in the morning and I do it after lunch, partly because uh, sometimes the worst things were to call people, and I'm often starting earlier in the morning than they're working. Right, right. So that's my time management tip, and I'm sure that's not the purpose of your uh, interview. No, it it is not. We we want to learn a little bit about you before we get into all of that, too. Uh, I understand that you tried retirement once and it didn't work for you. Yeah, I actually retired twice. So after I did Cynics and we're doing $2 billion in sales, I retired and moved to New York. And then I, my father got sick, so I moved back to Guelph, and I retired a second time. And I sat on the board of uh, Danby, and my father passed, and then I, uh, the, the CEO resigned, so I decided to become the uh, CEO of Danby Appliances. So I'm mm-hmm. back once again in an operating mode. Right. So what was it about that retirement that didn't work? Well... I'm actually too young to be retired, and uh, <laughs> and I I like challenge and I like interest, and it, it, business is stimulating. Mm-hmm. And uh, Danby's a great size of a company for me. Uh, when I was in New York, I was funding a lot of startup businesses, right. and uh, Danby's about four hundred million in sales. So you know, you save one percent, it's four million dollars. You sell ten yeah. percent more, it's forty million dollars. It's it's the right size, and it's a Canadian company. Um, located near where I live, so that's that's key. It's all good, um, yeah. But I'm kind of a an advocate for the underdog, even though some people say a $400 million company is not an underdog. It is in the appliance world. Okay, okay. Well, that's awesome. So do you have any hobbies, Jim, or is... Uh, oh, I have, I have lots of hobbies. Most of them are business, you see. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> business is my hobby. Well, I'm a health guy, too, so I work out and 
Um, yeah. Like, you know, I, I believe, but maybe I'm just doing that because it's a tool to help me do what I need to do yeah. or what I want yeah. to do. Um, but I garden. And, okay, uh, yeah. I've got grandkids. I mean, I, I, cool. I'm just a normal guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jim, um, what motivated you to step in to sponsor the Syrian refugees? Well, one of my mantras is I do do the right thing. And I actually brought that to Danby. So I say to all the staff, do the right thing. It's a good way, it's a good screen to put your decisions through. Do you sell a product that doesn't work well? No, you do the right thing. How do you treat your customers? You do the right thing. How do you treat your coworkers? How do you make decisions? You do the right thing. And I couldn't really lead a company and not do the right thing around the Syrian crisis, which I could see the humanitarian crisis and I didn't feel the government was acting fast enough. I didn't feel the people were, were acting fast enough. So um, I stepped up. I did not know it was that big a deal. I just thought, you've got 130,000 people in Guelph, bring in 50 families. That's They're bigger families usually, so maybe it's 300 people, 250 people. That's nothing for a city the size of Guelph based on the scale of the humanitarian crisis that's happening. Right. So that's why I, I stepped up and, mm-hmm. and did it. So you're not a patient man, maybe, either. I'm not a patient man at all. No, I'm very impatient. And I'm still impatient because I agreed to do this, and we still do not have our 50 families. Okay. So, um, like, we've only got a dozen families okay. um, right now. Um, we're hoping to get three more shortly, but uh, what, what's, you know, 15 families out of 50, a third of the families, we agreed and we're ready, and it costs us, actually, to not have those families because we recruited 800 volunteers we had them all police checked right. I, I set it up a little bit like a business not a not a profit business but I've mm-hmm. got a director of housing a director of food a director of jobs a director of uh, health I've director of education um, director of mentorship so every family has a Arabic speaking mentor family and mm-hmm. every family has an English speaking mentor family and we have scorecards and checklists so you have you know, you ride the bus with them and show them how the bus routes run, and you take them to the grocery store and take them to the library. You get a library card. You take them to the market. You um, make sure they get their well license, which is a different process, or mm-hmm. uh, make sure they get all of that stuff. And then the scorecards are go back to the other directors to say, oh, we have a health issue here. We need a dentist, oh, and the okay. person just isn't up on the English. Do we have an Arabic-speaking dentist that can do it? Oh, okay. And then sometimes we have those people already volunteered sometimes we don't we need to say well who can we ask right and we're not shy we just ask but what costs us is 800 volunteers and now we've been put them put them on hold right it's tough because you volunteered and now i said no we don't need you to do anything yeah and and they may move on to something else and not be available when you need them right i had one woman who um took a leave of absence from her job for four months and worked full-time on the project yeah jaya james beautiful woman really dedicated but she had to go back to work because she's she's not independently wealthy and so you lose that continuity and she of course is still helping but she can't because she's working full-time we actually had got all of the furniture for 50 households including buying new beds like new mattresses yeah yeah. and all the household effects like everything from sheets and towels to uh you know uh, to blankets to uh, electric kettles uh housewares and a lot of that is donated like used salvation army but we went and bought new and had donated new stuff right and 
now, and, and I, of course, I put some of it in the Danby warehouse and some of my friends' oh my, warehouses. Yeah. But you weren't expecting to leave this stuff in storage forever. And my friends, I, I'm imposing on the goodwill of others. We also made a mistake of renting some housing, which we now don't have that problem right now because I've learned not to rent until we get people mm-hmm. here. But we had vacant apartments that you're paying rent and vacant furnished apartments. Wow. And, and then all the labor to move everything. So we had all the clothing sorted beautifully, you know, medium men's, large men's, winter, you know, kids, all of this stuff well, well sorted. We had to move that all into boxes. Aww. And uh, <clears throat> so it's it costs money. And I, and I yeah. wish the government would let us get... Get to it. Get, get it done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you've made some use of existing organizations, oh, yes, too, in definitely. the... I, I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. So mm-hmm. the clothing is all done by Salvation Army because they have the systems in place to right. manage it and do it. But you're taxing them. So we said, you know, if, if we run you out of stuff or if you don't have enough, then let us know. So they said, well, we won't have enough, you know, new underwear and socks. So oh, okay. we went out to local business and said, could you yeah. get us new underwear and socks? So we got new underwear and socks. And they even were renting some extra space because we were expecting this onslaught of people and then we used we're using hope house extensively for food because Mm -hmm. they've got systems in place to distribute food great so we're you know basically use the organizations that exist yeah so a couple of the steps that i always talk about when we're talking about legacy planning is step one is to be very clear about what you want to accomplish so you certainly did that first and then step number two is is there an organization that's in place already to do that so you had kind of a yes and no on that because yes there were some organizations to do specific pieces but the the leadership the organization wasn't there and that's where you stepped in to yeah it's to do that it's just orchestrating and and i mean i tell people it's no different than running danby i don't actually do anything Everybody else does everything. So all I do is just orchestrate. And I've had a, the volunteers have been unbelievably outstanding. And the organization, Salvation Army and Hope House, and uh, the Muslim Association have all really stepped up in a huge way. And they're all working together and they're all very charitable and they're doing all of the real work. Wonderful. So uh, I just sometimes make some calls if we need something. Yeah. So. As the as the uh, the time management guy too, you have uh, you've dedicated some time to this project as well. Um, how much time have you? Uh, w- would you say this is well it, been committed? It does take time, but a lot of my time is spent on the PR side of it, right? Doing things like this interview yeah. and raising awareness and. I, asking my friends and asking people for stuff that we need to do and doing right. the orchestration. I don't know how many hours, but of course it's, uh, you asked about hobbies. Maybe this is my hobby for now. Sure. It's just, uh, sure. just doing this. But I don't believe this is welfare. This is helping people through a tough time. Right. So unlike Salvation Army, which will be here forever helping the marginalized of society, the people we're helping are moving through that. They need help now. Mm-hmm. Next year, success for us is 50 families that speak English, have jobs, pay taxes, pay their own rent, shop in the same grocery stores as you and I, right. and aren't dependent on our 
social services or our uh, charitable services like mm-hmm. Hope House and Salvation Making Army. money, spending money, mm-hmm. and supporting everybody else in the community by right. where they purchase. And, yeah. and, and there's a long history of immigrants adding to the economy. Absolutely. There, there's also a long history of immigrants not being welcome. So when the Irish came, people didn't want the Irish, and then they didn't want the Italians, and then they didn't want the Catholics, and then they didn't want the Hungarians, <laughs> oh and then they yeah. didn't want the Vietnamese. And Guelph's largest employer is Linamar. Mm-hmm. I think they have about 10,000 employees in Guelph. It was started by a Hungarian refugee, Frank yeah. Hasenfratz. Yes, absolutely. The Americans would not take uh, Hungarian refugees because they were going to bring communism. Mm. And... So uh, I, I believe, I, I hope we are bringing in another Frank Hasenfratz in this awesome. group of refugees. But what I have seen is they, the people coming in are grateful, and largely grateful, and have high work ethic mm-hmm. and will be the contributing immigrants that you expect that they will be. Right. Just like the Vietnamese boat people, mm-hmm. they've, they started you know, living 12 people in an apartment, and now they own all the big houses in the south end of Guelph, right? That's right, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. When you've got 12 families here, yeah. are there stages to their integration? Or where, where are we at with, with the families that are here? I would say most of the families are already working. Some of them are not yet working because they may not have the ability to, and there's uh, English learning. They need sure. To, they need yeah. to learn English. Although we, we, we actually believe in parallel path. We believe you can learn English better if you're working Mm-hmm. Then if you if you don't sure and you're better to work in a position that is less than what you ultimately want to be in, but it gets you Canadian experience and allows you to move through your next um, mm-hmm. next uh, step. But uh, most of them are working. Like we have one single mother, their husband is not yet been cleared, so she, she can't work because right. she has three kids and uh, and whatnot. And and finding part time work is not as easy as finding full-time work as far as jobs go we have a lot of blue-collar jobs so they're mm-hmm. like Linamar will hire everybody we want pretty well wow. but in addition to that there's lots of uh, you know, Farley group that makes golf domes you know those fabric structures they mm-hmm. they, they are hiring um, now foods and pure source hiring uh, there we have all the blue-collar factory work all the blue-collar uh, construction work so anything from roofing to drywalling to painting to plumbing, all of those, and skilled like welders. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of the Syrians came in were welders, and they're working in welding jobs. We have programming jobs. Where we're weak is white collar, mm-hmm. and many of the people that are coming in are white collar, and they right? say, "Oh, we have our 25 years in a bank," and right. like I can't put them in a bank because there's not a white collar job, especially if your English is not. Right. Perfect, and you don't have all the the references and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's a challenge for that, them to that's a to, to realize where where they may have to start. But that's the normal immigrant yep. experience. Yeah. How often do you ride a taxi in New York City or Toronto and find out your taxi driver's a a doctor or a lawyer or an that's accountant? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's for sure. So, are there any stories of specific people you've learned about that that have been especially meaningful meaningful for you in this in the well, group of people that have come? Well, one touching story was there's a I think she's eight or nine year old girl who was having problems sleeping and couldn't sleep, and then when she came to Canada, she was able to sleep. 
Mm. And that's because there's a lack of feeling of safety, and now she feels safe. So that was a touching story. Mm-hmm. We have um, one family who are living in a... Uh, they, they've chosen to share an apartment, um, and it's really like an extended family, and there's three wage earners, four wage earners in that family. They're probably going to be able to save enough money this year to buy a house in one year. Wow. We've got four wage earners, and they're taking bus passes. Like, they, like yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're, they're doing the frugal things, and that's, that's going to be uh, pretty cool to see them launch and yeah. be a success uh, and many Canadians could learn how to yeah, uh, yeah. govern their life the yeah, same that, way that would be so amazing yeah, yeah that'd be, that would be a great celebration wouldn't it yes yeah let's take this opportunity to take a, a short commercial break and uh, when we come back uh, we're going to get more gold from Jim Estelle is there a contribution that you dream of making what if you could make a far bigger impact than you ever thought possible Charitable giving is often presented as something you do when you're extremely wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and designing your contribution at every step around the issues important to you. Learn how clarity about what is important to you gives every aspect of life new meaning. Tune in to Step Right with Lynn regularly. So welcome back. This is Step Right with Lynn. I'm your host, Lynn Wadham. I'd love for you to comment on the show. Give me your thoughts about topics and guests for future shows. You can reach me by email at lynn at stepright.ca. That's L-Y-N-N at stepright, S-T-E-P-R-I-G-H-T dot C-A. Or give me a call, 519-448-3477. I'd love to talk with you. We're talking with Jim Estelle about his role in bringing 50 Syrian families to safety in Canada. So, Jim, do you believe that there's a natural connection uh, between business and the contribution to the community? Well, of course I'm a business guy, so of course I believe I believe that. And I believe, actually, that uh, economic ties are the path to world peace because you don't actually want to bomb your customers or your suppliers. I also believe if you meet and get to know almost anybody, you will like them. Mm-hmm. And you and and they will be your friends regardless of background and culture. You'll find people are people. Right. And uh but business definitely uh drives uh, I mean you mentioned that I've retired a couple of times. I don't believe work is bad. <laughs> I actually right. believe work is good. Right. And so it's not like the goal is to retire. That's not the goal. It's the goal is to contribute. And so you, you're talking there about being able to see how we're the same instead of immediately seeing how we're different. Right. I, I mean, when you get to know people, mm-hmm. they are just, you'll, you'll like them. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, they're just and like the, people. And when it, when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. We still have the same care for our children. Right. You know, we still, um, you know, we still grieve the same. There's, there's so many things that, that we have in common that um, it's, it's a shame when all we can see are differences. That's correct. And yeah. that's what inspires these immigrants to work so hard is mostly the betterment of their family. Right. And so we're only bringing in families and families... Um, you know they want a better life for their children mm-hmm. so they work really hard because they want their families to uh, thrive right 
So how do your contributions to the community affect you personally? That's a good question. I mean, I, I already had some recognition in the community because my business relative to the size of the community is reasonably large. Mm-hmm. And so I had some of that, but there is this, uh, there is no anonymity. Oh, okay, yeah. And, and I didn't go out and say, oh, I want to get uh, press uh, no. and get uh, get on the radio or anything like that. So there is this uh, uh, spotlight, so to speak. Yes. That uh, so that has that impacts me uh, personally. I I guess also many 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 people reach out to me, mm-hmm. and this is because of this publicity and because of what's going on. It allows me to reach out to other people, so I can often just make a call and say to someone I've never met or don't know, "Would you be able to donate the use of a truck for the weekend?" And they say, oh, yes, Jim Astle wants the use of a truck for the weekend. They're not thinking, I'm moving into my cottage. Um, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's given me a, uh, an ability to ask. And make those needed connections. Right, yeah. right. And, and the same thing with jobs. Like, I, I do not know what the future immigrants' jobs will be, but I will tell you whatever they are. We will make the call, and I will make the call, to whoever we need to make the call for because mm-hmm. I don't care whether I know the pharmacist to say I've got someone who's a pharmacist who's willing to work as a pharmacist assistant, technician. It, we'll, we'll do that. Does it affect the culture of your business? It, it does impact the culture of the business. See, I've only been doing uh, CEO at Danby for a year and whenever you come into an organization, people are always suspicious Especially when I say, oh, we do the right thing. They say, oh, yeah, right, that's a, that's a slogan that uh, is on the wall and, and sure. uh, doesn't really mean it and whatnot. But I do think that the staff realize that, we're, that I'm kicking in and they see, partly they see it from this project, but they also see it from work ethic. They see, oh, the car's in early and leaves late and he's working on the weekend and, and all this. And it sort of spreads to say, wow, he's working hard. Let's, let me work hard. If you get into inspiring millennials, I did not do it for this purpose either, but millennials tend to be inspired by altruism. Hmm. And people, actually all people tend to be. uh, Like if I say, oh, we're going to sell more uh, uh, compact refrigerators to make more money so that I can buy uh, another Rolls Royce, you you sort of say, well, that's not inspiring. If we say we need to sell more product, we do need to have a strong company because a strong company allows Danby or allows us to allows me to help allows right. us to help and so it is uh, us helping and many many people at Danby have stepped up so as soon as I announced this initiative I had a huge number of staff step up and I know also all I have to do is send an email saying could I get people to help move on the weekend or could I get people you know we need new socks we, we took a freezer and there's a kid, a 10-year-old kid, his name's Boaz, who uh, did a sock drive, but we put a freezer out and said to our staff oh. and other staff, oh, bring your bring new socks in. But you know how often you go to the dollar store or to the sure. uh, where, wherever you go, and you say, oh, yeah, there's some socks, and I'll buy another pair of socks at wherever. I heard you speak in June, and to paraphrase something that you said, it was something like, I determine my needs and I give the rest away. Was, was, would that paraphrase something that you said? Well, I, you're getting into deep philosophy. <laughs> I, I think that 
um, and I have a dysfunctional relationship with wealth, but m- many, many people have a dysfunctional relationship with wealth, and they try to keep accumulating wealth after they don't need more. Right. So philosophically, I believe that you set your number and everything above that, you should give back. And that's a philosophy that I that I live by, and it means it, I'm hoping that it means I'm less dysfunctional than some other <laughs> people. But the other thing, I, I I do not have high needs. I'm not an ostentatious guy. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I actually did buy a new sports car four or five years ago, and the reason it's a sport car is a Prius, but I bought a red one. You see, that's my sports yeah. car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> so are there ways that, that people can help the Syrian families in the community at, at this point? The primary thing that people can do is just be welcoming of everybody in the community. That's the primary thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, if someone reaches out to mm-hmm. you, then help. Or if you have something specific you can offer, then come forward and offer that. So if you have a specific skill or uh, or something, we're, we're definitely um, still open. We're, like, we have 800 volunteers, but some of those volunteers, as I said, are going yeah. away. And yeah. one of those volunteers may not... Like, we, one of the refugee families speaks Kurdish. All of our people were speaking Arabic, which is not Kurdish, of course. Mm. So you... You know, we needed uh, someone who speaks Kurdish, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and and there's four dialects of Kur- Kurdish, as I now understand. So it's a specific oh, dialect, wow. and uh, and it's uh, so you're learning. So, you're, so, you're learning too. So we're we're learning exactly, yeah. and of course, support financial support never hurts. But I'm not reaching out for that right now. But just be good people and be normal and generous and welcome people into the community sure how can people learn more if they uh, if they want to know more about what's going on that's a good question the um, refugee helpline in Guelph has a lifeline uh, forget the name of the website but uh, the Guelph refugee forum has okay. a, a okay. whole bunch of articles okay, on, on uh, the state of things and what might be needed and that sort of thing and, and you could reach out and we could register people as a volunteer and then we reach out to our volunteers when we need stuff right. okay your books what if our if our listeners want your books where do they go where's the best place to go to find your well, books well amazon's the obvious and uh so amazon for for zero to two billion the time management one's out of print right now so oh, okay. it's not uh it's not available. Someone could send me an email. I could probably, yeah, I can email something. Oh, okay, okay. You write a blog. I do. Would you Would you like to tell us how to link up to your blog? I guess it would just be a Google search. Would if you Google search Jim Estel, you can find it. But it's www.jimestel.com. So it's a blog. I only post once or twice a week, and it's uh, sort of businessy. It's a little bit of personal. Mm-hmm. It's not earth-shattering. It's just some thoughts, and uh, so it's it's one one of the things I do. I started that when Cynics bought my business because I was CEO of this combined entity, and I had a challenge, communication challenge. I said, "How do I solve the communication challenge?" And one of the ways of doing that was to start the blog, and that was in the early days of blogging. Okay. So that was around two thousand and four. And uh, so I started the blog, and I just have kept it up uh, forever. Mm-hmm. And it's it's given me some ability, sort of like owning the press to some yeah. extent, just like yeah. you're you own your radio show, sort of, and yeah. you're you are the press. Yeah, you um, can uh, you, you can make your 
your thoughts known. That's right. And zero to two billion is actually a compilation of blog entries. So that, the, oh, okay. that I was approached by a company to, to put together a book based on the blog. Okay. So it was a that was another side effect of that. Okay. Well, that's great. Is there any other message that you would like to that you would like to give to our listeners today? I don't think so. I think we pretty well covered it. Okay, that's wonderful. Thanks, Jim, for joining us and bringing us up to date on the progress of this project. Please join us next time on Step Right with Lynn. This is Lynn Wadham. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Thank you for choosing to listen to Step Right with Lynn. We hope you'll join us next time. Remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community. Until next time.